0: What is up, MetsUp listeners, back here for episode number 75 of the MetsUp Podcast. Hey, three-quarters of the way to 100. We're almost there. This episode... We have no new baseball news or anything to report on. We're going to, you know, talk about the lockout. We got some more negotiations, some more details about the previous labor meeting. So we'll go over all that as we have in the past. We're going to answer some viewer questions. We're going to give you a projected lineup and rotation for the season as if it were, you know, to start on time. We'll see. We'll make some moves. We'll give you our lineup one through nine and we'll tell you what it's going to look like because, of course, we also know that the DH is going to be a legitimate thing in Major League Baseball in 2022. And we'll just continue to talk Mets baseball as we do. Now, here's a little fun fact for you guys. We are getting our first MLB player on the podcast next week. Trevor May is going to be on. He's going to be our first guest. So uh keep an eye out for that. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, Instagram, the YouTube channel. Subscribe so you don't miss out on any of this. And if you're listening to us, make sure you're following on Apple, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google All that kind of stuff, so that you don't miss on the Trevor May episode because that's going to be a lot of fun. Really excited to get that one locked in for you guys, and uh, let's bring in James. James, how you been? I mean, I've seen you like the last two days, pretty much all day, so I know how you've been. But yeah, you know
1: exactly I've been. Birthday episode though, birthday podcast.
0: Yes, big shout out to James. Twenty six. Welcome to the club. Yeah, great. Got to do my health care. Yeah, that's that's one of like the worst (laughs) things is like having to figure out like to pay for my own health insurance. Well. Yeah, you have a job, but I need to pay for my own health insurance.
1: I still have to pay for it, not as much as you, but it's still money that's coming out of my pocket going into health
0: insurance. Of course, yeah. Not one of the uh, big downfalls of getting older. Oh, it's a brutal birthday, 26. Nothing good. <laughs> Should we go out celebrate? Like, I got to figure out how, who's going to pay
1: for my medical. I'm sitting at the bar like, fuck, what plan am I going with? Cigna, Aetna? What am I doing here? <laughs> but uh, in terms of baseball, how are you feeling? Also bad? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, I'm still holding steadfast with the original prediction I made on this podcast that we would have a deal at the beginning of March, first week of March. And that's basically the last possible day there ever could have been to get the regular season started on time. I still think it's going to happen. I still think that someone's going to cave before then. I probably think the caving is 70-30 players, but someone's going
0: to cave. There's no way they don't. There's too much at stake. You're the jinx. We need you to say that the season's never going to happen. We're going to play zero games. This optimism is not good, James. It's actually probably true. I fucked, I fucked it up. I'm
1: a, I just got to stick with what I've known. I got to stick with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling less and less confident. I really do think we're going to miss 20 games. I feel like I've been saying that now for a couple weeks, is that we'll probably get like a 140-game season and – that's it's kind of where it's going to end up being, I think.
1: And I don't even think that's the end of the world. It's not great. I do love opening day in a cold April afternoon, but the three weeks after that are almost a, usually a waste of time anyway. So when all the games move from during the day to night, and it's cold in the East Coast, cold up north, it's cold in the Midwest. It's just not good baseball weather.
0: No, it's not. We play on April twentieth instead of April first. I prefer to have more games, but end of the day. Not not the biggest biggest deal.
1: No, not at all. I guess now we should run through what actually happened last week to bring Mark and I to this state of massive negativity about the uh, the future collective bargaining agreement between the owners and the players. Last week, each group between the owners and the players basically had their own summits. It's kind of funny how they were, how the press was being handled for them. Like all the players got together in Arizona and had this like meeting, and they were like, "Oh, we're still so united. Like we're still all together." And they have to say that. And maybe it might be true. And the owners went all to Florida, but that's a classic old guy move. Go to Florida, players all went to Arizona, way better. And they uh, they got ready. what's was supposed to be this massive proposal. The owner's first proposal in what is now, what, like 10? 10-ish weeks of lockout? Eight weeks yeah, of lockout? real long time. Yeah, first one they were ever going to bring to the players. And it was just, again, more of the same with them kind of just posturing. And, like, they basically just dropped a low ball offer, which is just kind of frustrating at this stage in the game. But it does show that... Neither side really has a lack of urgency, which means that – I don't even know what that means, actually. It means that we're probably not going to start the season on time.
0: Yeah, a lack of urgency from both sides means we are definitely not starting the season on time, it feels like, because if there was even just a slight urgency from one side, it almost feels like they think that that would be like showing their hand, and then they're going to get screwed. No one wants to be the first to really make this, like, huge concession – but it seems like the owners really have no plan on doing it, like, ever.
1: No, and the players actually, there have been some reports that some players actually feel that their side has been too easy, easily willing to negotiate, and now they kind of put put them behind the eight ball without the owners ever making a move. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like a war tactic where you just stand completely still and make sure all your defenses are good. Like, if you ever even attack a little bit, like you're leaving something open that they can get into you, attack for. Because again, this owner, this uh this offer was something that Rob Manfred said over and over again in, in his like laugh, laughing press conference. This is going to be a great offer. It's going to be really good for everybody. It was something that they thought would be really good and possibly accepted. But immediately after the offer left their hands and went public, John Heyman, who's one of the biggest shills ever for Major League Baseball, said that Major League Baseball understood the proposal, carried no hope to facilitate a deal in the coming days, and would only trigger further negotiations. He immediately deleted because it completely showed their hand that they
0: were lying to the media. I mean, can we talk about the media and like what is going on with Manfred and all this? Because he did this press conference right before the Super Bowl and was kind of given this optimistic feel of like oh it's gonna be great they were stealing headlines before the super bowl and like what was kind of a quiet media week it felt like honestly for the super bowl like in terms of what they've been in the past mm-hmm. and rob Manfred was kind of like oh it's we want to have baseball spring training is not going to be postponed nothing's been pushed back yet we're going to be playing baseball blah 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 again doing the same thing he's done all off season long which is make it seem like it's the player's fault and not the owner's but as we know The case is that Major League Baseball locked out the players. If there was no lockout, things would be going on completely as normal and there could still be negotiating going on. But Rob Manfred gave this, you know, very peachy outlook that things were going to be okay. And then immediately, like, afterwards, like you said with this deal, we knew that there was nothing good in there. They really didn't make any sort of, like, actual negotiations besides getting it started, I guess, which is what, like, the hot term everyone is using is that they're at least starting to negotiate now. But it's so funny because Manfred was so positive and then the MLB representative who then gave like uh, like the PR responses was basically like oh no there's there's nothing good going on here it's uh, there's we are very far away from what the players are wanting like they were so far off from each other yet working for the same side it just shows again a clear lack of just any sort of clue on rob manfred's part unless they want him to look stupid? I don't know. He's just never on the same page as anybody, it seems like.
1: I think it's just a total lack of desire to solve any of these problems. Like, they're willing to, again, just, like, sit down in Armadillo and just let everything happen until it happens. And to get into to some of the nuts and bolts of what this proposal was, we're not going to get into it because we still want to talk mostly about Mets this episode. We're just giving everyone, you know, you know, a nice little, little, taste, little taste of the labor negotiation, but... This uh, big offer from the owners included a uh, $660,000 minimum player salary that's up from $600,000, and we mentioned a couple episodes ago that keeping up with inflation would have put that at $650,000, so now we're just slightly above where this has been for the last seven years anyway, and a $15 million bonus pool for players who are pre-arbitration, so that means that that's like money that can get reinjected, $50 million total, into all of the players who are still in the first two years of service time in baseball.
0: And that's going to be based off the war thing too, right? Where there's like the players with the top 30 war or something like that?
1: I think they're much more concerned with how much money is going to be in that pool right now and how it's going to be determined. Okay. So if you add that all up between how many players are going to be on the minimum salary and how many players are going to be pre-arb, that's $37 million the owners are reinjecting back into the most productive, and the most valuable players in Major League Baseball who earn the least amount of money. In the players' last proposal, the minimum salary was $775,000, and they had a $100 million pre-arbitration pool. And as you add all of that up, that's $180 million being injected back into the most valuable and most talented and least, lowest paid players in baseball. So sitting right there, you have per season a $140 million difference between where well, they become the core economic issues with the free agency years being taken away, taken out of it. And I think that's really it. That was the only one big one service time, right? Yeah, service time. Um, and the draft pick stuff. And the draft pick stuff. But again, these are just the main economic issues. Like they still have some massive disagreements about the competitive balance tax, which has been kind of contentious, the existence of a salary floor, draft pick compensation, penalties for going over the competitive balance tax, and Tons and tons and tons of other things, including now a spring training debate that has started. There's been debates about the minor leagues that have been started, but kind of pushed away really quickly. And even still, this was a great thread by Travis Sawchuk, who's a very talented baseball author and writer. He said that even that player proposal comes underneath the dollar per war added by that potential group of players on a yearly basis. So the players have already undersold the value of what these players should actually be worth, even though they'll never actually get what they're worth because they're still not free agents. That's still a part of the compromise. But the fact that we are $140 million per year apart on this issue shows that we're like nowhere close. And that is really frustrating the players.
0: Yeah. And I think when you see it from the outside looking in, you don't talk about that pre r pool. Cause honestly, I think the majority of people are probably seeing that the owners are 660, the players are 775, and they're thinking they're not that far away. Right. When you just mm-hmm. see those two numbers, but then when you look at the bigger picture, like you said, focusing on that pool of money that would be getting injected into the game. That's where there's the huge difference. And that's why there's all these big disagreement. They're not close. They're not close at all. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that is super concerning is how do you go from being 140 million difference away to agreeing at some point? That's it's a substantial amount of money.
1: Definitely. And the players have already come with, I believe, two or three, I think it's three actual hard proposals they've sent to the owners. So now logically, they've already made three individual concessions on just, they've besides the conceding the things that they've actually just agreed not to go after anymore, specifically the service time. And that makes sense because this will affect more players in the long run and get more money in the pockets of the players in general. So this is the right place that the players should be focusing their efforts. But now they just keep taking steps further away while the owners take slower steps further away. So just based on that, logically, if you think of two people who are going to meet in the middle and one's walking twice as fast as the other, you're going to eventually go end up closer to one who's walking slower and that's the kind of logic that the owners are using right now and that's the way they're attacking it and it's kind of brilliant because they have all the entire media basically on their side and a lot of people even our demographic who are like these players they make so much money they get to play a
0: game you can't you can't what are we doing here you're gonna ruin opening day for us the working class dude jim bowden today bowden bowden whatever his name is what a friggin' tweet that is my god the scab, scabletic that was awful i mean like I didn't really have a problem with him prior to this. Like, he's fine. He's whatever. He he does his thing. He's never really added anything to a conversation. Yeah, but this, like, the the tweet that he put out today and the article, I guess, that he put out today was so yeah. ridiculous. He was like,
1: it's time for the players to step up to the plate and accept way less money so a deal can get done. Spring training can start on time for us, the normal people, without the massive
0: talent. It's just like, it's very, uh, I don't know, out of touch it felt like. It felt very much old man. That's something John Heyman would say.
1: Yeah, and then those those two are part of the triple threat of guys who you should not be listening to right now, and the third being Bob Nightingale. Oh, Bob really
0: Nightingale, be... my God.
1: He had some very shillish tweets too, but it's also just it's really important to note before we start talking about the media stuff, the fact that the players at this point are now becoming almost scared to actually propose any big ideas or any crazy new stuff, like specifically salary floor, who it's really not even clear who that would help because while it would help players because some players are earning more money, You get into a situation where, like, the bad contracts kind of become trade chips and it kind of lessens the free agent pool just by moving around bad contracts. The way uh, the NBA does it, where you have really good free agents who stay unsigned until midway through the season and just hop into a playoff run. Like, that's awful. That's a bad symptom of something they thought would help the players. And if you look at this legal language that's even in the last CBA just expired, it never really goes away. Like, having six years to become a free agent is unchanged since 1976. The third calendar year free agency even existed. The arbitration eligibility rules have been in existence since 1987, besides a Super 2 tweak. Like, these, once you put something in that's a big idea, it's really hard to get it out. It's really hard to rewrite and unwrite a lot of these rules that get put in. So now the players don't want to keep making concessions on the only things that they're trying to still win and they're kind of probably a little bit scared to put in anything new because owners have more resources they will find the loopholes way more efficiently and effectively than the players will and now it seems like we're going to be at a second stalemate that's going to start this week
0: yeah just it's so crazy that like the free agency rules are basically 40 and 50 years old and there's just been no change to it despite the insane change in the game of baseball not even just from how it's played but from the money perspective and the fact that these guys this is their jobs. They're not working at Home Depot after the season's over.
1: Also, from the, the source of a lot of these players, like in the seventies, we weren't we didn't really have this incredible Latin American pipeline of players that we do now, and that those are the types of players that get preyed on the most with the most recent CBA. So, these, a lot of these rules are really to help those guys out, and that was something that didn't even exist in nineteen seventy six, especially not in the scale it did now. And the fact that we haven't made any adjustments to the service time rules since we have created this entire new wealth of talent major league baseball is insane
0: it's kind of like uh were we talking about the other day the unions back in the day got the five-day work week and we've never looked back
1: got no no more that was 100 years ago we've had nothing else for the american working man
0: (laughs) and it's like kind of the same thing with baseball like for some reason despite all the progress and change that's happened and the the money is just so insane it's so insanely different how much more money it brings in and yet there's just no nothing going towards the players like i feel like If you're someone who doesn't know what side to stand on, and again, I guess it really doesn't matter, like, be be whatever side you want to be on, because none of our opinions or anything has any sort of impact on what goes on. But, like, you hear all these things, and you're like, the players have been the reason why the league has gone up, because better players means more people are watching, which means bigger TV contracts, which means more money, all that kind of stuff. Yet they're not receiving that money like, accordingly. It's just going in the owner's pockets, and then you have a guy like Bob Bob Castellani who just makes money hand over fist every year and then doesn't do anything with the Reds. So, like, it's so bizarre that nothing's changed, but I guess the people who've been negotiating in the past really didn't do a very good job then either.
1: But that's ironic and even almost incorrect because out of all the... Major player unions in professional sports, most people will tell you that baseball is the strongest. Like, there were a lot of tweets going on about this that, like, baseball players should kind of be happy with what they have because if you look at NBA and NFL contracts, especially in terms of the NFL, they're much less guaranteed, like, much lower percentage of them. That's just bad job by the NFL. Not not like we're saying the MLB did such a good job 30 years ago or 50 years ago, whenever they got guaranteed contracts, that we should be like, let's go. We're happy with what we got. We yeah. have guaranteed couple grand. Like, we live in a world where next year Vladimir Guerrero is going to be making the minimum salary. Yeah, it's insane That's not that okay. there's no
0: bonus or anything that goes to the guy who could be the home run king in you know the 2022 season.
1: He almost had a triple crown last year. He would have won MVP if there
0: wasn't one of the best seasons of baseball ever played opposite of him. Yeah, a guy literally pitching and hitting at it an unbelievably good level. Like, I understand, you know, the owners are going to fight, the players are going to fight. They're going to both want their way. But there has to be that middle ground, and that's the problem right now is it's really, really hard to find a middle ground because, like you said earlier, they're just so far away.
1: Definitely, and especially as there's just now this new media parade chastising the players and basically anyone who supports them, which it, it, it does mean the owners probably have recognized the fact that this is probably the most pro-labor the public has ever been in a professional sports negotiation because you've always again had that line like oh they play a game for thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars I'd play it for free well you suck so it doesn't really matter how much you play for because you're not good at it yeah like you can't throw a pitch as hard as brandon woodruff you can't hit the ball as hard as vladimir guerrero like you're irrelevant
0: no one not a single person outside of like maybe like your 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 mom or dad are gonna pay to sit in a seat and watch you play
1: Nobody. We all love the game of baseball, and, like, we kind of think of this for us. We all have our own, like, romantic notions and ideas of it, but this game is really not for us. This game is for them. This game – the players are the game, and they should be able to hold out and basically do whatever they want. And if your opening day is ruined, if your April is going to be a little more sour than it has been in the past, suck it the fuck up. Find another hobby. Watch the NHL.
0: Come on. <laughs> yeah, I want baseball back as soon as anybody, but, like, I mean – 100%. I want the players – I want the players to get a good end of the stick here. I don't want them to get the short end and – uh it's just it's just tough it's tough because like you said it's really really hard for people to get their head wrapped around the idea of like the millions of dollars like well, I would love to make $660,000 a year to play baseball. It's like, yeah, well, when you watch a movie and Leonardo DiCaprio's not starring in it, even though he's perfect for the role, do you go, ah, he's a piece of shit. He didn't get paid enough. You, uh, he, he, he wouldn't take $20 million to be Jack Reacher on Amazon? Are you kidding me? Well, dude, that's kind of like
1: that Casey Sadler thread I sent you yesterday, right after the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, I'll share it right now. Some random guy on Twitter, I'm not even going to give him, I don't know the name because he's a loser. He talked about greed. They should really fix salary problems in minor league baseball. But once you even touch major league baseball, you start making the minimum $570,000 prorated uh, to the amount of days in the bigs. Just a cup of coffee or a month call up will make you more money than most people make in a year. And then Casey Sadler quotes me of this. I can't believe he found this. It. It's kind of cool. But he said, I hate comparing because one struggle doesn't cancel another's." You would think touching Major League Baseball would be enough, but adding a, a paying a mortgage, a pricey short-term apartment, because you probably have one both in your last minor league team, and you immediately have to get one for your new Major League team, and you, the $3,000 you make a day while on the Major League roster goes away. And you also, you cannot forget the debt from spring training, because all these guys incur debt from spring training because they're not paid for it, and they have to live in Arizona or Florida for a month. And then, again, people went wild because he did say $3,000 a day, and like that does seem out of touch, because $3,000 a day for 99% of the world would be like, That'd be such an insane thing. Like a lot of p- Americans, especially people in our age demographic, you make $3,000 in a month, you're doing pretty well. And then Casey Sadler said, Yeah, but $3,000, you come up for one day, you get sent down, you can't come up for another 10 days. $3,000 is a lot of money. I get how that sounds, but the expenses, it goes quickly. Especially go along with a lot of the expenses that people, baseball expenses that people outside of baseball would not understand. It's an up and down grind, and you're really thankful when you're the one who can actually make it. And then he had one more qu- uh, tweet at someone just say he's out of touch again. He quote tweets, said, Dang, I guess that's true. But you have, you know, I worked at a vitamin world in the off season to pay me and my wife's bills and my $12,000 a year salary was not cutting it. My wife also worked three jobs and I did baseball lessons on the side. We bought a seventy thousand dollar foreclosed single family home because a mortgage was less than rent and we still had to apply it to the government for food assistance. Damn. It's like a lot of these fringe major league baseball players, and we've said every year that numbers between sixty to eighty percent of the players who are on the minimum salary. You really struggle to make ends meet. And it kinda gets lost in the narrative and lost in the media and lost among just the general population who are not really involved in this game on a day in and day out basis that it's tough. It is a struggle. It's really hard. And you're going to lose a lot of Major League Baseball players if they don't get some slight benefits here.
0: I mean, of the listeners that we have, I would say, what, maybe 5 to 10% actually know who Casey Sadler is as well. Like, think about yeah, how right? many of those guys exist. There are a lot more of those than, like, the J.D. Davises of the world.
1: Blankenhorn last year never got his car from Oklahoma City. Yeah,
0: dude was hopping around to four different teams, four different cities. Imagine that, too, if you're a guy who gets traded a couple times during yeah. the year. I mean, it, I don't, there's not many places that are going to give you a really cheap rate for a one-month rent.
1: Especially if you're getting traded from the Dodgers to the Mets while you're still in AAA and you're the, you were in Los Angeles, you probably didn't get housing there, maybe you were staying in a hotel during your home games. You had a house in Oklahoma City because that's where you started the season. You wind up in Syracuse, and then you end up popping up and down between Syracuse and New York for the next couple of months. Like, that's a crazy, insane lifestyle for someone who, when you're down, not in the major league team, you're making a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. and Maybe for the week.
0: And again, like, I don't think any of these players really want, like, a woe is me. Like, I, I, the no, out-of-touch of thing not. is, like, definitely ridiculous overreaction. But the idea is that, like... Yes, while this would be a lot of money to you, like, I don't think you're really thinking about it like you should be. There's a lot yeah. more intricacies than it's $600,000. Like, well, not really. Not That's actually. That's not actually how it works.
1: And one of the things that was proposed in this last um, proposal was the fact that you could only send players up and down now a maximum of five times during a season. So then at least you would guarantee that player a couple more days of making that money. Maybe you can clear $30,000 in the season. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then you got to figure out the rest of your year because you can't get paid in the offseason because there's no games.
0: No. like it, it. Again, this these labor negotiations are for the little guys. It's not for Mike Childs. It's not for Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom. It's not for those guys. It's for the Luis Guillormez. It's for the Travis Blankenhorns. It's for all the guys who are shuttling up and down on those minor, you know, the minimum contracts. you gotta got to keep out for those guys because, again, they are the sport. Akeem Bostic. Yeah, Akeem Bostic. That guy literally was up for a day. So he got yes. his $3,000, and he was definitely shuttled around all throughout the miners. And you make no money in the miners; You make $0. It just goes to rent and food, basically.
1: And it's probably only like Chipotle and McDonald's at that point, depending on where, what city you're staying in. But if anyone does want to keep closer tabs on this, then Mark and I can give. There's a couple of really good accounts to follow. Eugene Friedman is a labor lawyer. He's been the king of this whole thing. I think his follower count is like quadruple since it started, and he fucking deserves it because he's great. Killer. He gives very real and clinical and legal practical takes on every single thing that's happened. Maury Brown, also who writes for Baseball Perspectives, has been on top of it. And who I mentioned before, Travis he, uh he's also on top of it too. He actually wrote a credible book called The MVP Machine, which is about how these players are valued in terms of owners and what money needs to go into having exceptional baseball
0: talent on a roster. As Steve Cohen said, right? Uh draft picks, it's almost impossible to not make your money back on those guys. Yes. So yes. that's uh, I'd
1: be stupid be stupid not to sign them.
0: Yeah, I I think uh the players should be just coming with that tweet. They should just print it out and <laughs> hand it to them. Uh, look at this. You make money on guys who never touch the majors sometimes. <laughs> Thanks oh man
1: it sucks it really sucks it is absolutely brutal it's so terrible that we have to sit here on february 14th like it's one of the things that usually gets through february we yeah. said it last time February's a tough month you get the super bowl and there's nothing for the rest you usually get that pitches and catches the sprinkle of baseball and that keeps everything moving you see the sun in florida on tv you're like okay nice
0: it'll be really cool to ask uh, trevor may next episode his thoughts on some of this stuff because he's been pretty vocal uh, on social media on twitch and everything and i would, I would love to hear how he feels as a player because that would be a cool insight that maybe you wouldn't get through like regular media i would love to hear what Trevor i have to say i'm very happy that you we were able to lock that down yeah no that was cool that was uh i said to like hey you ready to go I, I tried to get him for today if you guys didn't yeah, yeah. you don't know the story but i was like hey trevor uh, any chance today he's like how about next week i was like that works lock it in i'm gonna be you in try. texas Shoot your shot. yeah i'm gonna be in texas doing it we're not gonna have the good setup but hey we're gonna have a good mic we're gonna be clean all right switching gears here On the second half of the Mets Up podcast, let's actually start talking about the Mets here. We asked for some viewer questions, and we got some really good ones. Really good ones. Really, really good ones. I think the one we're going to start off with first is going to be about projected lineup and rotation going into the season. Now, this involves trades, this involves signings, this involves the current players. It's not the roster that is currently built today, but what we think the roster is going to look like on opening day. So we're going to give you one through nine in the order, the positions, all that kind of stuff, as well as one through five in the rotation. So... James, you want to start it off? Where do you want to go? You want to go pitching first, hitting first? I'd be glad to go hitting first because I just, based on the way I think the season's going to start, I
1: don't think that the Mets are going to really rock the boat very much on the hitting side, especially relative to pitching.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 honestly, I don't have any really new players in on the hitting side. As much as I was I would, hoping you did because
1: I wasn't going to. As
0: much as I would love to throw a Chris Bryant or a Kyle Schwarber in there, I think that would be fun. Um, I don't know. I, I just can't see it right now. It feels a little bit more difficult, especially now with the DH being open to everyone. Kyle Schwarber's market just got a lot more competitive. Uh, Nelson Cruz's market just got a lot more competitive and honestly, not interested in being in a bidding war for a DH. It's just not, not part of my, you know how we're built, especially with we have guys that can play it.
1: No, it's like I said this over and over again on this podcast and other people's shows. Every single place under the sun. I said it extensively also last week on Tim Ryder's podcast, Simply Amazing. I talked about it for almost 10 entire minutes without him even getting a breath in. <laughs> the fact that as the Mets lineup currently is constructed in their roster, we can't take on a pure DH. We need more guys who play defense. There's only like six guys in the entire roster who can play defense right now, even a little bit, and almost all of them play in the outfield.
0: So uh, we want to start off with the leadoff. We'll just go one by one, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll ride my nine,
1: and you'll ride your nine. Maybe okay, we'll see That's Is there any differences because I have probably one major difference that a lot of other people don't. But I think if it was me, this roster would read: Nimmo, Lindor, Alonzo, Marte, Cano, Canha, Escobar, McNeil, McCann.
0: Yeah, I don't hate it. I, I I know what you're doing there. That's the Marte hitting fourth, like the Rays do with Margot, second lead off. I, yeah. I see what you're thinking there.
1: And also the fact that if I had to pick. The better, like, because I think Brandon Nimmo should hit leadoff, even though I don't know if he's the best, one of the best pure hitter in this team, but he's that rare um, except, exception to the rule of like you should basically be hitting your best hitters as close to the top of the lineup as possible. He just gets on base so much, he probably outweighs that. And if I'm looking at Marte, Lindor, and Alonso, and I'm thinking, who do I want to have the most at bats by the time the season's over? It's definitely Lindor and Alonso ahead of Marte.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think we're fairly similar. So for me, I went Nimmo leading off, playing left field. Marte, hitting second, number two. I love Marte, thinking that he could be a number two guy. Lindor, three. I think Lindor in the three-hole, especially with the guy behind him and Pete Alonso, would be a nice little boost to his game. He's been so patient, right, the la- that last season. There's a lot of times he's going to be able to get that walk and get Pete up in the first inning, I feel like. So I got Pete hitting four, because again, Lindor, really patient last year. We saw that improvement. Five, Mark Canna. No, I'm doubling up on the righties, but I just think he is like the fifth-best hitter in this lineup right now. Mm-hmm. Six, DH, Robinson Cano. Seventh, Eduardo Escobar. Eighth, Jeff McNeil. Ninth, James McCann. So, to me, I didn't do the full lefty-righty flip-flop. I kind of went with just, like, who I think right now are the best hitters on this team and kind of just went one through nine. Um, I I could see some changes here, though, without a doubt.
1: Definitely, and I think there is a chance that we enter this season without one of either J.D. Davis or Dominic Smith or Rob Zucano on the roster, and that would, again, that would open up an opportunity to sign someone who could be more DH forward. Maybe not entirely DH like Nelson Cruz, but someone who is more of a hitter than a fielder. But as of right now, it just really lines up to Robinson Cano being the Mets' DH on Opening Day, which a
0: lot of people probably don't don't really want to hear. Yeah, and at least to face the right-handed pitching against lefties, it's going to be JD yeah. Davis. It has to be,
1: and it should be. And I think there is a world where Dominic Smith can improve and hit better, go return to a place that we've seen him be before, and become the primary DH instead of Robinson Cano.
0: Especially if Cano like. Looks like an old man, although he
1: looked good yeah. in the Dominican Winter League. He hit some singles. He hit some singles. He <laughs> took some. He took some walks. He didn't strike out very much. But this whole thing's gonna be very subject to maneuvering. Make sure. I think the Mets are gonna make a lot of small moves on this side of the ball before the season starts. And The crazy frantic period we're going to have between the lockout being lifted and the season starting. I think the Mets are gonna acquire a lot of small and like niche players. A Jonathan VR. Yeah, someone like VR. Someone I had someone on my list today. I totally forgot it was a free agent. Who is it? Oh, like Nico Goodrum. Yeah. Fam, McCutcheon, like guys like that, Donovan Solano, Brad Miller, players like that are gonna be added to this roster and kind of beef up uh the triple A team as well. But I think that you have the core of hitters the Mets have are the ones we're gonna go into the season with.
0: Yeah. And then on terms of pitching side, rotation, I'll, I'll get us started off this time. Mm-hmm. DeGrom, Scherzer, you know if you've been listening to this podcast, who I'm putting at number three, it's Carlos Rodon. Go and get him, get him right now. And then we'll go with Taiwan and Carlos Carrasco as uh, a 4-5. Hey,
1: I'm uh, I'm very similar to you because I do think the Mets are going to go get Rodon. So my 5 is DeGrom, Scherzer, Rodon, Kikuchi. Another one. I think he's a Boris guy, right? I think so. Yep, Kikuchi is a Boris guy. So the Mets are going to double up on Boris clients, make it the three-headed Boris pitching monster for the offseason. And then Taiwan Carrasco, depending on how those guys shake out, depending on how the year shakes out. We don't know if DeGrom's going to start the year. We don't know about Carrasco, Taiwan. Keep the load off all these guys. Maybe do his little six-man rotation with Tyler McGill being the swing man. Gets his uh, five, six innings a week. But I do think that the Mets are going to spend a significant amount of money to improve the starting rotation before the
0: season starts, no matter what happens or when it starts. Yeah, you told me what earlier this week, you think Rodon's a 50-50 shot, which I like that. I think that's pretty good odds if you're the Mets, especially like when really at the end of the day, like money is not an issue. If it is 50-50, we kind of win that.
1: Definitely. And I think that if you're more willing to take on risk, especially in the case of Rodon, you will win that because if you are willing to give Rodon the 22 million dollars a year for three or even possibly four years as scary as that seems i do think that is what it's going to take at least four for 90 because i so did see another one of our uh, our listeners ask what years of money would look like for rodon
0: yeah i would think he's got to get at least at the absolute minimum it's going to be 20 million maybe a little bit longer if it's going to be that 20 million number and then a little bit higher if he's going shorter term. But I think probably Rodan wants to be locked up somewhere for a good piece of time. If I were him, I would be. I mean, especially playing with this year-to-year roast beef elbow thing.
1: But I think you just, if you do get Carlos Rodan, you kind of have to bank him this year for, I would say, 120 innings. You're going to be getting 120 really solid innings, possibly spectacular innings for some of those. But I don't think that you're signing Carlos Rodan as a workhorse. I think that's why if you do sign Rodon and you do give him that money, you do have to sign a guy behind him who you can trust to give you winnings, whether that be Kikuchi or Pineda or Tyler Anderson or... um, Some real
0: non-sexy names.
1: Yes, Oatmeal. We need Oatmeal. Cueto, Davies. Like, really disgusting. (laughs) Maybe, again, or if you want to, like, package two risks together, do, like, Rodon Danny Duffy, Rodon Matthew Boyd, Jacob Junis, uh, Vince Velasquez, your boy Drew Smiley. Like, you do have to put Rodon, like, in a sandwich with somebody else. You can't just get, like, a s- turkey and bread. Yeah. Maybe throw some ch- throw some cheese in there. Yeah. or the mayo.
0: Well, maybe a little lettuce.
1: Some good roughage. Yeah, get it all together. You can't just... You kind of have to think about Rodon as, like, a, short, a short-term a short starting pitcher. Because that's kind of the way baseball's going anyway. So, you just got re- re- to recalibrate.
0: Yeah, but I do think with that team, the way that both of us have put it together, I mean, we're relatively similar. Go, go figure. The guys who talk about the Mets all the time are pretty similar. None of us have crazy yeah, yeah. takes, which... Probably would make for better content if one of us was really just out of out of nowhere. Carlos Correa, third base, New York Mets. Yeah, Trevor Story, we're gonna move him to uh, second base. Like, yeah, it'd be fun.
1: One of you listeners out there did ask us the percentage chance that Carlos Correa would be a Met. I would say two, two percent.
0: I was gonna say five. So
1: five. I like. Okay, there you go. So split the middle, three and a half.
0: It's like uh, whatever the percent of a scratch off is to hit. You know, I'll give that for Carlos Correa.
1: Whatever percent that we would win our bets. Whatever percent that would be. (laughs) Yes
0: and then we also got a really fun question that i think um is is worth talking about here and this is going to be creating a mets pitcher using different pitches but you can't double up from the same pitcher for multiple pitches was that explained well
1: yeah i think it was let's try it again basically you could you could pull you could create a starting repertoire out of any mets pitcher's pitches yes
0: but you can't you
1: can't you can't use one pitcher's pitches you can't use multiple of one pitchers pitches correct there it is that's a better there it explanation is. Yeah. there it and is. i do want to ask trevor may this later too because i think that would be kind of sick to hear him talk about it Oh, he sees
0: these guys more up close 100 percent. i would love to hear him so uh fastball who are you going james it has to be jacob Degrom. yeah i mean, I mean it, has it has to be. be insane now i will say this based on like i was looking at other pitches right of like guys on this team i almost considered giving the fastball to Edwin Diaz and not Jacob DeGrom. I was thinking that too, or Trevor May. Because DeGrom's slider is just yeah. like simply the best slider in baseball by like a pretty wide margin. Had like a whiff rate of almost 60% last year, which is insane to say mm-hmm. out loud. And I was like, as good as his fastball is, like it's not something we've never seen before. It's just DeGrom is that good. He makes it that good kind of thing. So like, do I want to lose a little on the fastball to have just by and large the best slider in the game? That was That was the thought in my head.
1: Definitely, I honestly was thinking about that too, but in the reverse because I know that Degrom's fastball is sick as shit, and the slider's also incredible. But we have two of probably the other fifteen best sliders in baseball on this team between Max Scherzer and Edwin Diaz. It sucks for this exercise that our three best pitchers, three most talented pitchers, all three of their best pitches are the same. Yes, they're all the same. None, <laughs> not throw like a sinker, throw a cutter in there, and we have to. We're gonna have to lose one of these one of these guys' pitches. So I have to ask you, if whose slider would you take between? Well, you get two. You get a fastball and the slider. DeGrom, Scherzer, Diaz. Like, Which pitcher are you
0: leaving off that list? I took Diaz's slider. Over oh, Scherzer's? I took I took it over Scherzer's. And the reason being kind of kind of goes into what I said before. It's because Scherzer has a pretty nasty changeup, and it was pretty devastating last year. did really well. So I ended up taking his changeup, because there was no the one that the Mets really had that threw a great changeup last year.
1: Interesting. I kind of like, not a great changeup last year, but I still like... Carlos Carrasco, the pitcher he is, and the pitcher he's always been, and I have always loved Carlos Carrasco's changeup. His changeup was one I was actually going to probably take if it were me. Okay, that's fair. and I was, yeah, and I was gonna, I was gonna try and pair that changeup because when you're when you're kind of creative a repertoire here, you want all the pitches to at least work off of each other in a way to where the hitters will not be able to identify which ones. And I thought Carrasco's changeup would have worked really well off of
0: Taiwan's
1: two-seamer yeah I uh because you I kind have, of have
0: reverse moving actions there I mean we also don't have many picks for a two-seamer left on this team but yeah I no, went with Taiwan the there
1: and the last pitch that I was even thinking about at all which would go really well off the DeGrom or Diaz fastball is of course Seth Lugo's curveball yeah that's that's the only choice if you're a Mets fan yeah.
0: you know who had the best curveball by far that was Rich Hill Rich Hill's curveball if he was still yeah, here
1: true he's not in the Mets anymore I wish he was still in the Mets
0: that should be it. where's Rich
1: Hill is he on a team Red Sox oh yeah Great. We talked about that extensively in, like, November. That, dude, that was 2021. That's a year ago. I said that, like, three straight episodes, that we need Rich Hill back on the Mets, and people were giving me
0: shit for it on Twitter. I would love Rich Hill back on this team. He would be such the oatmeal we need. I did have one more pitch, though. What's that? Cutter. Who? Drew Smith. Drew Smith had a pretty good cutter last hey, year. Hey, he
1: did have a really good cutter last year. He had, like, a, a, flow.
0: I think, like, 30% K or a whiff rate on his cutter last year. So I was like, give me Drew Smith's cutter in there. Well, a botch by us that we let him go on another Mets podcast before hours. I know. We really, really messed that one up fucked up we just didn't ask him yeah we didn't we didn't you gotta shoot your shot shot the shot with trevor may to be fair have a slight relationship friendly with him so that probably helped but you shoot your shot that's how you find out if you can get people or not
1: that's all good though so but at the end of the day here my mets best pitcher put it all together is the degrom fastball the scherzer slider the taiwan two seam the carrasco change and the Lugo curve.
0: Yeah. So my five pitches are the DeGrom fastball, the Diaz slider, the Scherzer changeup, the Lugo curveball, and the Drew Smith cutter.
1: Nice. All right. I like that we actually were a little bit different there. Much more different than we usually are in any of the things that we talk about.
0: Yeah. no, we usually pretty much on the same page here. Let's also, I guess, talk about what was one of the more fun questions that we got asked. Although I just saw you raise your eyebrows, do you have something to tell me? I was going to say, might as well just kill it because I think the next one needs research.
1: I've never, I don't know, I don't have researched it enough.
0: Okay, well, you know what? Then let's do this one then because I think there's another really good one. Last question by Panda King OG: If you yeah. can pick one player to play to their fullest potential next season on the Mets, who is it? And that one, it's a real that's a real thinking man's question right there because I know we've seen DeGrom basically play to the fullest of his potential. And as much as it's great for us to watch, it doesn't really matter for the Mets, almost. Like, it keeps us competitive. So, like, I I feel like that's probably an answer a lot of people would throw out there, but, like, is that the right one? And I was
1: also thinking about this question in terms of fullest potential. Like, it's about what we actually expect a guy to do versus what his potential is. Like... I can say, yeah, I want Francisco Lindor to play his fullest potential. But the difference there is like one war. Yeah. Next year, he's going to put up like four and a half war, five war. His fullest potential is like six, six and a half. Yeah. Same thing with Pete. Like Pete's going to probably put up a four or five win season. His fullest is like just a little bit more than that. It's like fullest potential. Like I think you have to probably look at either. This can going sound kind of funny because these two guys I make fun of all the time. But it would be probably either Robinson Cano or Dominic Smith like imagine if dominic smith was just the best hitter in baseball again like he was in 2020 he had a 15 percent barrel rate and he had 50 extra base hits like that would be one of the most incredible things that happened you just got Kyle schwarber for free like we're talking about real fullest potential like if any man could play to his fullest potential the best he could ever possibly be i'm probably gonna pick dominic smith
0: yeah i'm i'm i really still don't know where i would go because like you said like with the lindor thing like yeah he can play better and he can make a bigger impact but like does that actually really move the needle? Pete, you can't pick him. There's just no way. No, they're two. They're, those guys are two. Their medium expectation, like their 50th
1: percentile, is basically too close to their 100th. Like you kind of have to think about, like, what are the likelihood that this guy does X? And it's like at, within baseball, especially fantasy baseball, the way I like to think about things are like, what's this guy's like, 50th percentile of expectation? What's his 25th? What's his 75th? And what's his 100th? You're almost never going to get to your 100th. The 100th, I guess, was like kind of Otani last year. But then once you do that once, you kind of change the, the grade and what you can score on and, like, just Pete and Lindor and Marte and even Nimmo, like, their 50th percents are so solid. that doesn't move the needle that much if you get that guy to 100. But, again, like, Dom or even a guy like Carrasco. Like, imagine if this year Carrasco throws 180 innings. He wins 15 games with 3-3 R8, 220 strikeouts. Like,
0: well, that's mess the division. that's where I was kind of heading was Carlos Carrasco is because, like, I know he's, like, so much older now and he's got the injuries and all this kind of stuff. But, like, we aren't too insanely far away from him being a really really good pitcher in major league baseball like a top 25 guy. And while he is older and he's a little bit, you know, slower and a little bit more beat up. Like you said that if he threw 180 innings, which like his fullest potential is probably 180 innings, right? And mm-hmm. you would imagine that if he's throwing 180 innings, they're probably pretty good 180 innings. I don't think he's going to be getting shelled out there for 180 innings. Like that could be the difference between the Mets being a wild card competing team. And running away with first place in the National League East. And 2018, which really is not that long ago, it
1: feels like it was a very long time ago, but it's not that long ago. And again, since then, Carlos Carrasco has had a torn hamstring, bone chips in his elbow, and leukemia. So this is not there's a lot lots to happen. This guy's life. He he won 17 games. He made 32 starts, 192 innings, a 3.38 ERA, and a 29.5 strikeout rate. So about five ticks above league average. I'm not saying that you're going to get. Car- 31 year old Carlos Carrasco again, but talk about fullest potential. If any met this year could play at their fullest potential, like that, that has to be where it goes. I think, I or think, Dom again.
0: Yeah, I think him and Dom might be the two best answers. Like, you can't pick McCann because McCann's fullest potential is, again, same thing, like not much higher. Like a two win player. I, like, could you pick McNeil? Do you think McNeil could be a pick here?
1: McNeil's potentially a pick, because I guess, because his false potential is hitting, what, like 330 with 20 homers? That's a pretty sick. And playing that- really good defense. Yeah, like that's actually he actually could be the move, too, because you're looking at a guy who's like a stable like two-win player. Yeah. And then he could be, like, a 55 Which player.
0: is, like, that's moving the needle. He was an all-star that year. Like, he would be one of the best second basemen. That might be the winner for the hitting side of it.
1: Yeah, that's moving the team's needle. Especially because he's going to play the field. Even if Don plays to his fullest potential, he's never going to step foot in the outfield grass. Never, Shh, never well. God forbid he steps foot in the outfield grass again. Please no. <laughs> the only time ever
0: I'd be okay with buying outfield tickets for a game. <laughs> but literally, like, I think McNeil, Carrasco... Uh, Dom even, because offensively, like, having his bat gone last year really did hurt us a lot. That was that was a huge hole in the lineup.
1: Yeah, but everyone's bat was gone last year. That's true. How many runs scored do you think Pete Alonso had last year? How many runs do you think he scored?
0: I mean, like, I feel like a good player scores, like, anywhere from, like, 80 to 100. So it's got to be lower than that, 70.
1: That was pretty close. It was... It was 81. Dom scored, he scored, Pete scored 81 runs, and that was a guy who had 637 plate appearances and a 344 on-base percentage. Yeah, Mets couldn't score Hitting runs. second or third in the order every single day, scored 81 runs. This entire Mets lineup took a giant shit last year in a really, really important way, and that killed them the entire fucking season.
0: Oh, you know, you know who else could be a fun pick? If anybody on this Mets team could play to their fullest potential, oh. Francisco fucking Alvarez. If he could just yeah, come guys. up and play to his fullest potential Sick. in the 2022 season, oh my God, we're doing things.
1: That's funny because um Dan uh, Zembrowski he runs the Zips projection method on uh, Fangraphs, which proved to be a very good projection system year over year, especially in terms of multi-year projections. Which is the only projection system that's publicly available that does that, and he actually has for three years down the road. Francisco Alvarez already being a three and a half win player for this year. Francisco Alvarez was a major league baseball player. He has him as a one point five win player, hitting twenty home runs in the major leagues if he played this year. Only two twenty average, but hitting hitting twenty home runs in the major leagues this year as a catcher. So imagine Francisco Alvarez this year could hit twenty five homers and two fifty while playing league average defense. Scary. That's the best season Gary Sanchez almost ever had.
0: <laughs> that would be. Uh, that's that's a. An outside pick, for sure. But I think we definitely hammered it down with McNeil, Carrasco, Dom, those guys. They make more sense.
1: Yeah, and this thing really appreciate the listeners helping us out with some really interesting questions today. Some more that we're also going to get to next week. Some that we're going to actually ask Trevor May. Really helping us out in a time when there's no real baseball talk about. The fact that we can literally make things up for like 30 minutes and have it be
0: interesting. Yeah, no, it uh, keeps the conversation going. We actually get to talk about the Mets, which you guys know we love to do as you've listened to now 75 episodes of this podcast. Kind of crazy to say out loud as well. Yeah, so it hasn't even been a year. Not even been a year, 75. Hopefully we have baseball news coming to you soon. If not, we'll still be here every week. For the Met Stub Podcast, make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at Met Stub, YouTube channel Met Stub Podcast. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had no Range. Follow me at Mark, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast. Make sure you're giving us a rating and a review. Following us there, Trevor May. Next episode, first MLB player, setup man for the New York Mets, Trevor May. Excited to have him on. I've spoken to him a couple times. He's great on the mic, so it should be a great listen for you guys. And that's where we'll wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening. Happy birthday, James. Make sure you guys tweet him happy birthday. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out.
1: Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.